When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the hour of badass power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And coming up today we're going to be talking about that horrendous Pepsi advert and what we thought about it. Plus, the pay gap, does it exist? How do we get rid of it? And we'll be answering all your usual queries. First date nightmares, what happens when someone thinks you're the secretary and you're actually the boss, and how we manage our stress. I just don't know the answer to that. But first of all, we're looking at the news and what's been getting our goat this week. So Nat, tell us, what have you been thinking about? This week, I've been thinking about Pepsi, and I can only sum this up by sharing the first line of Marina Hyde's Guardian article yesterday. So this is the Pepsi advert with Kendall, Kendall Jenner, Jenner and the, quotes, activism. Activism, yes. To the repository of cultural treasures taken from us far too soon, we must add Pepsi's latest commercial, The Woking of Kendall Jenner. <laughs> Released on the anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination, it seemed the perfect marriage of model and material. Right, so (laughs) this ad showed Kendall kind of bouncing through the crowd at a a march, at a rally with, you know, the police sort of standing in line. And they'd taken lots of visuals from various um, imagery and photos that have been shared over the last couple of years from Black Lives Matter, but also from protests uh, around the world. Kendall bounces through, picks up a can of Pepsi, as you do when you're really angry and railing against the machine because you're being oppressed. And she walks up to a police officer, and they've taken this image from um, some of the protests that happens in Ferguson, and hands him a Pepsi. He opens it all happy and stuff and turns to his colleague and is like, yeah, you know, good times in the world. Kendall Jenner's just given me some fizzy drink, happy days. You know, and now now the world's a better place and she's all bouncy and, and with her friends. And I just... It was so cringeworthy. I have no idea how it even made it to being signed off and into the public domain. My favourite bit of the whole ad, actually, is right at the beginning of the ad, Kendall Jenner is doing a photo shoot. And so they've got her in a blonde wig. Mm. And so she decides she's leaving this photo photo shoot to join the protest. And she peels off her blonde wig and throws it at the black assistant and walks off into the protest. Yeah, I was going to not mention that. I was like, what? Emma, you've worked with advertising. What are they thinking? I I mean, it just... that was absolutely shocking and there was a lot of talk in the in the advertising kind of industry media about it being oh it's the in-house team because there's a lot of threat around these brands creating this creative in-house but there's brands that have created advertising like that and to me it's Pepsi are missing a massive opportunity how much money did they spend on that ad on Kendall Jenner on all of that production when they could have actually used that money to invest in some things they could have used advertising for good so it's really it's just so do you mean they so external advertising agencies are saying this is the result of what happens when you do production in-house and 
and, and instead of them accepting that we need to be more responsible with our advertising, they're just blaming the in-house team. Absolutely okay. that. That's the angle. And, you know, there's so much bad advertising that comes out that plays into all these stereotypes that haven't, you know, not listening, not taking really good notice of going in the world and just going, oh, I've got an, there's an opportunity here for us to make some money. And yeah, we'll make Pepsi the hero. And it's like there's lots of ways you could have made Pepsi a hero without doing that advert. So damaging. I think so. And I think what's really interesting is um, there was a great article a few weeks ago which said that actually the mantra sex sells is now dead and the mantra is now activism sells. Mm. Now, have you seen any ads which have done activism well? Dove. Dove. I've got to give Dove a hug this week. So they um, did uh, an ad campaign where they put billboards up in mainline train stations with a photo of quite a Stepford wife looking mother, sort of glazed eyes, holding a baby. And the strap line was... Uh, is this the perfect mum question mark it caused massive uproar people saying Dove how dare you I thought you were better than that they then announced that that was part of the ploy that actual image was an image taken from a computer algorithm that assessed imagery of mothers and it showed that what's happening is we're showing this sort of Stepford perfect idea of what it means to be a mother and that is ingrained in our minds so much so that that's what a computer would form and we need to tell more honest realistic stories of what it means to be a mother and the article that I read was on the pool and it was written by mum and she was saying it's not that I want to see pictures of mums broken and wailing on the floor but we need to have a spectrum of the reality that we're not perfectly airbrushed and fabulous all the time and I thought that was a really great way to start a debate from something that at first value at first hand looked like they were trying to put up an image of the perfect mum. Yeah, it's a great way that advertising can have a really positive influence. Mm. You know, I think there's definitely a place for advertising, but, you know, where you can really change the conversation. And in the meantime, you're making that brand, Dove becomes part of that conversation. Now, if that isn't phenomenal brand awareness, I don't know what is, but Mm. I mean... Yeah, what Pepsi have done. It's just brands, wake up. Like, it's not all about selling your product. And then they apologised for putting Kendall Jenner in that position. They've only now just apologised to Dr. Martin Luther King's daughter. But again, that riled me because it, it showed just how unaware they were. Yeah, completely unaware. And I don't actually think, even though they've now apologised, I don't think they still know what they've done wrong. But hopefully they will eventually one day get the message. Um, but in the meantime, the other story that has been intriguing me this week and I've actually been writing about it is around the um, companies publishing their pay gap so if you haven't seen this as of Thursday it became mandatory for companies with more than 250 employees to publish their average salary bands for men and women Um, and this is part of a kind of drive to try and close the pay gap because please don't tweet me about this the pay gap exists it exists (laughs) and for men and women doing the same job it's roughly 9.4 percent but if you look at it on a much bigger basis it varies all over the place but women generally come off worse and they government actually put this idea forward quite a few years ago now when they originally put it forward if you didn't publish your stats you were going to be penalized for it so there would be a fine Um, They've now said there won't be any fine because they just want companies to comply because it's nice to do. And that has really annoyed me because I think it's such a great opportunity. But the amount it's going to cost these companies to fix this problem versus the small shame they're going to feel when they don't publish and they get told off for it, they're not going to do it. I don't think they're going to do it. Emma, what do you think? Is it going to help? Well, I think it's it's a one-step you know, closer to to getting this. But there's so many threads to this gender pay gap, though, as well, that's not necessarily being acknowledged. You know, we're not acknowledging the the deeper, bigger pay gap that women of colour have as well, the different elements of that. Also, the fact that women are in different jobs and perhaps because they're still society and culturally, they're doing more caring. Um, So there's lots of dimensions to this pay gap that need to be addressed other than just the publication of it but for there not to be a a consequence for not publishing that data I mean like how are you going to create change but Nat do you think should the government have put in a fining system what do you think so this is where I I, I'm this is where I agree with uh, regulation and regulation uh, forcing companies to share data and information and then you you let the market do what it will you let people decide where they want to work which has its own challenges which I'm sure we'll discuss Uh, but it also starts to create that conversation and culture shift and almost a conversation I don't think we're really having right now if I bang my head against the table when I go to conversations about women and diversity and equality and what companies need to do because not much has changed and I feel like the rhetoric is the same whereas if you can sit there with this data and say well 10 companies of 
you know, this type of consulting firm or whatever refuse to pay or are not paying women um, the same as they're paying men. You can actually do something with that. So I, I, I like that. I think we should enforce a fine. And I don't usually say things like that, but I, I just don't see people complying without the stick. What do, you th- what do you think also about the secrecy around salary? I mean, traditionally, you've, you would never talk about your salary. Oh, I always have. Yeah. I um, will ask someone sitting sit next to me, like, what, what do you get paid? But within companies, that isn't normality. And, I, you know, I'm very interested in, like, the future of work. And I know there have been some companies where everyone knows what everybody is on mm. and the com- company employees decide what other people should earn. And I would love to see that, the transparency of actually everyone is open about what they earn because then you can't have any discrepancy about your pay and if everybody's you know judged on so i have said this so there are ways that you can also hack this so if you're applying for a job you can so say there's a, as a company they've got a few jobs out you can see the bracket the salary bracket for a number of jobs and that's what i did so this this is just what i did for myself one my first job out of university there are a number of roles it was a, a charity that had just got a ton of money from the government there are a number of roles so i knew that everyone going in was on at least 28 the role that I went in on was 21 because it was deemed a junior role. But I got in there and I was doing exactly the same work as my male colleague who was on £7,000 more than me. But that bracket. But I knew, but I knew from the, from the ads. And I went to my boss and I said, look, this is what I've delivered. I'm delivering the same as him. I should be paid the same as him. She went quite right. She went off. HR came back. Literally by the end of that week, gave me a new letter with my new salary. But that's, I think, puts a lot of emphasis on women mm. to fix the problem, right? So it says it's up to us to make sure that we're going to go and work for companies where we know we're going to be paid properly or where we've investigated the salary or where we go and ask or where we point it out. And I am actually getting to the point where I'm a little bit tired of the fact that it's always on women to fix stuff and behave properly. It's always on us to do the right thing, to be good feminists, to support all the other women. Where is the world supporting us? That's what I want to know. Um, Which kind of leads us into our third article for this week because Emma... So Emma sent this article around to us on our WhatsApp group earlier today and we just... We've had to say that we're we're, we're failing it quite badly. Um, so tell us what it is. Yeah, you're going to love this article. So it's basically the 23 ways you, and I think when they say you, they're implying women, yeah. <laughs> may have internalised misogyny without even realising. And there's 23 things on this list. I'm going to test you out on three. Tell me where you're at. We might okay. only have time for two, but go quick. Two, okay. <laughs> I'm going to test you out on two then. First of all, you felt embarrassed by stubble on your body or that you should apologise for it. So do you know what? I never feel embarrassed. I never feel embarrassed if I'm in bed with somebody and I've got stubbly legs or if I'm out on the beach and I've got stubbly legs. But I do always feel really embarrassed when I go for a massage with somebody. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Don't feel you have to do my legs. <laughs> Knees up is fine. Yeah, I feel really embarrassed then. Yeah, totally embarrassed Okay, by it. this one, which is actually number three. You've automatically felt sorry for women who are over 40 and single. <laughs> now, being over 40 and single, do you feel sorry for me, Never, ladies? Emma, never. Because yeah. I know you're a badass. I mean, you know, I'm totally wallowing in self-pity over here. Like, can't get over myself. Oh, I worry about that all the time. What if you die alone? <laughs> oh, you don't even have a cat. I don't have a cat. I don't smell of weed. I mean, you know, I've got a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> so we're going to be looking maybe at a few more of these as we go through the show. But um, we're going to take a small break while we bring in our guests for our next session. The amazing Daisy Buchanan, journalist, author, Agony Aunt. She's got a new book out. We're going to be talking to her all about that, about managing your anxiety and also about how to be a grown-up. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour. All the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And we're also joined this week by the amazing Daisy Buchanan, author, journalist, Grazia Agony Aunt, and the very proud new writer of this very exciting book that she's just brought in for us, How to Be a Grown-Up. Welcome, Daisy. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. Um, So we are here because the book launched this week didn't it that's right it was out on thursday the 6th of april how exciting and tell us a little bit about what it is and why you wrote it you know um 
I think it's a suit brand that advertises itself as a hug and a mug. I've tried to write <laughs> a hug and a book. <laughs> this is a book I wrote because I think that there's always a need for reassuring writing. I've written it broadly, as it were, for women in their 20s. But I hope that, you know, other women and men will find it useful and helpful. Um, the tagline is, you're doing fine and let me tell you why. So <laughs> it really is that it's sort of masked it as, as advice. But really, the main advice of the book is, is you got this. It's a, a feel good book. And I think that so many of us really, really feel like we've not got it and we're struggling. But I think we're all doing so much better than we think we are. So this is about searching for the hero inside yourself essentially oh, searching so for the hero inside yourself <laughs> something something later. yeah there you go <laughs> well fine if only you had a soundboard now yeah. um, <laughs> so great you say it's sort of about knowing that you're doing okay even though you're not and you've written lots in the past about kind of coping with anxiety and managing your stress what for you was kind of what would you in this book have wanted to know if somebody had only told you earlier, what's the one thing that we should all be reading about? It does sound really trite, but I think it is that feeling that, that everything is going to be okay. And I had, I think, the sort of 20s that lots of other young women have, you know, lots of bad boyfriends, lots of bad dates, terrible, terrible flat shares, being absolutely broken, having no money, feeling like you're always sort of on the brink of the brunk, a brink of a drunk disaster. That's quite hard to say. <laughs> And I think there was definitely a point um, towards the mid to the end of my 20s where I went from thinking, oh, I'm doing the fun things and I'm having a great time and it doesn't matter that it's all going wrong because these are the adventures I'm supposed to be having, to thinking, well, it doesn't feel like this is ever going to end and that I can't imagine a future where I have, you know, a, a relationship that makes me happy, or, you know, if that's what a person wants or, you know, that I have you know any feeling of like job security or career confidence or that I live in a place that I'm not scared of leaving or entering and I didn't expect that I was going to have all those things straight away um but yeah they just felt like they were getting more out of reach as mm. I progressed through my 20s not less out of reach and if just you know if someone to say you know like future you will be fine and so much of that is perspective and realizing that when you're up close to something it feels so hard to to get your head around and believe that you've got a future um, and I think it's especially hard for people who are in their 20s and 30s now to plan for their future because but you know mainly I think because of money I think that so many of us you know we intern for a long time we often start our career with lots of debt if we've been studying um, you know there's no real sense of having that control and I think this chimes perhaps especially with what you were just talking about with the pay gap and and with women especially and how that affects us that it's about not having the freedom to do it and you know I definitely have sort of people of my parents generation that, oh you know you're so lucky because you can do what you like and you can go traveling like you might have maybe felt like that if you were um you know growing up and being this age at a different time but I think how are you going to get the money to go traveling? What job will you come back to when you do? I think that there's lots of fear. There's more fear than ever and it's holding us back. And I really hope this is going to help people feel less fear. You don't necessarily have to go traveling, but you know, that you will get the things you want if you work hard for them and you know, you're not doomed. Yeah. Emma. Daisy, how much of your book do you think is about um, or how much about being a grown up is about undoing a lot of basically society's expectations? Like I just feel that that's all the stuff that I've discovered as I get older is that there's just so much pressure and expectations and a perception that everybody's doing something one way and just and you're not doing it and yeah how much of the book do you think is around? I would say probably all of it. Okay, <laughs> wait. Um, there's a chapter I've written called How to Be Sad and it was really important to me to write that because I feel like I'm constantly reading about and hearing about how to be happy. I always want to be happier. I have chronic anxiety. How can I fix this? And I think it's very, very powerful to appreciate that um, sadness is a really important emotion and we need to respect it and we can't fight it and we have to believe that it has its place of course I wrote this chapter and I then afterwards saw Inside Out and I thought ah yes Hollywood have got here before me on this one <laughs> but I think it's such an important message to to reiterate and I think that can be so powerful if you are struggling or feeling low or feeling down um, definitely you know when it comes to looking after your mental health I think that if it is you know for a a long time and a worrying time and it's you feel like it's really holding you back it's always worth talking to someone and you know 
like even just a GP can be really helpful and point you in the right direction. But I think it also really helps to know that if you feel sad, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. We all feel low. And what you were saying about society's expectations, I think especially now, it's a cheesy cliche. I feel as though we don't ever talk about people in their 20s without talking about this, but social media comparison, Mm -hmm. it can be very, 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 very hard to feel sad in a world where everybody else seems to be constantly broadcasting their happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, to know that that's not the whole picture. If you were to zoom out of the amazing photo you're looking at on Instagram, Um, you know you don't know sort of what you'd see in the background I remember being on my honeymoon um, at the start of last year and you know much of it's glorious and amazing and of course I was posting you know pictures of this beautiful pink hotel we were staying in and the pool and the cocktails and the sun lounges I wasn't posting the photos of like my husband lying in bed with the curtains drawn because he had heat stroke and was feeling really sick. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, the nights when we were sort of going out for fabulous dinners. I didn't, you know, do the one where we just went to like the Panda Express and the food court <laughs> and some sort of you know, weird like neon red glowing um, sour sweet chicken goop. <laughs> I think social media is so responsible for so many of our expectations today about what we should be doing and how we should be behaving. You obviously, like, you kind of made a lot of your career through Twitter and you know, through being very funny online. Oh, thank how you. do you manage, well, how do you manage both of that? How do you manage still kind of using it but not being a slave to it? It's really, really difficult. And I'm still working it out and struggling. And I get frustrated sometimes because I have conversations with people Um mainly my mum, um, <laughs> where I says, well, darling, just, just don't do it. If it makes you feel bad, just don't look. And I was... Um, trolled quite badly if that's the right word a couple of years ago I wrote a piece for the Guardian about women being harassed on public transport and how I think that it's so so scary and frightening and you can't you know say what you want to say you can't scream at your harasser or even ignore them and for our safety we're often forced to acknowledge it in a polite but please leave me alone way and how hard that is and how miserable it is and lots of people responded to that piece in a really positive way and a sizable minority of people were awful about it and um there were, i think um i didn't watch it but there was just you know every time i turned my twitter on there were this like crashing waves of and every you know every other one was like i love it i hate it i love it i hate it and i felt like i was under an enormous amount of pressure to acknowledge the people who were being really kind and really supportive and really lovely and he'd read it but it was really hard to do that and to filter out the negativity um and that I, that sounds quite glib when I say it that way, but you know it was it was horrid. And your phone's so intimate. I was like, there's this hate bomb living in my pocket now. But can I on so on that? I so when Davina and McCall um, did was it is it um, the the live show well, that that late night late late late, late, late. Uh, she said I'm I'm not going to be on on social media for a while because she expected a bit of a backlash. <laughs> Do you think we need to start to not engage with? social media and Twitter in these mediums sometimes just for our own mental well-being because I can't even imagine what it would be like to have that much narrative and negativity coming at you but I also acknowledge you can put your phone down and walk away in the same way that if someone was doing this to me in the street Mm. I would well there's lots of things I'd do but walking (laughs) away would ultimately be one of them. I think that's a really, really good point. Something I struggle with because I work from home. um, I'm on my own a lot. I'm there with my laptop. And I think for me, and, you know, I'm on a very, very, very small scale on the the scale of things. um, It does fuel a weird kind of narcissism in me where sometimes, especially, you know, with the book in the last couple of days, um, it can be easy, I think, for one to believe one has a much more significant role um, than they do. Um, there's a story that my old boss at Bliss magazine tells me about working on a, um, I think it was CG UK, and there was a pop star. I can't remember which one. And the pop star's manager was trying to get them to do something or other. And the pop star was in the middle of a an impromptu photo shoot posing in a range of different cowboy hats. And they told their manager to leave them alone and pointed to the hats and said, this is important. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's it. I think that a bit of me completely unrealistically, it's like, well, I must reply to all these people and I must, you know, people expect me to be here. 
no one expects me to be here. It's the old like Nancy Mitford nanny, you know, no one's looking at you, darling. And I think I wrote an essay that I uh, published on Medium um, about a year ago and I called it We Are All Famous Now because I think that it doesn't matter who you are and this is part of the joy of social media in a way. We can all broadcast, mm. we can all put ourselves out there, we can all have a following and that's so exciting. But I think that, you know, historically, fame never really ends well forever and it's not good for the soul or it's not good for you psychologically and we're all sort of choosing to put ourselves through that experience so i have another question connected to this i get people messaging me asking about trends in in business and entrepreneurship and i was talking about the narrative of of bloggers and vloggers being the new entrepreneurs Mm. do what do you consider yourself do you consider yourself a businesswoman do you consider yourself a writer What, what what holds your career together Oh, I think I'm definitely a writer. I really, really do rely on editors commissioning me, of which lovely Harriet is I one. Did. That's how we met. Brilliant person to write for. That's how we met. Um, I'm really quite envious. A brand? Do you consider yourself a brand? Oh, God. In as much as I think, like I said, we're all brands now mm. to one degree or another, I feel really, really uncomfortable with that. But a bit of me thinks... Maybe to a point, I, I think that perhaps people will buy my book because I represent a certain experience for them. Mm. And it's always a bit weird because there's so much of, of me in that. Um, and it perhaps does feel a bit a bit raw. I think that maybe in some ways it's really, really helpful to think of you um, I mean, not you, Natalie, necessarily. Um, oh, darling. Do you of think of yourself as a brand, myself a brand <laughs> darling? But if, if we all think of ourselves as brands, that might make it easier for us all to step back a bit from social media and it being consuming and and drama filled. But yeah, it's a really. I think I think my ego is enormous and yet very fragile, and so that makes it very difficult to. I think that might be everyone in this room, to be honest. Um, So we're going to keep the lovely Daisy for a little bit longer um, because she's going to be staying with us to do our badass balls up. So using our combined wisdom, nearly 100 years of our experience and mistakes and lessons not really learnt to help you solve your problems. And that is coming up after this break. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And this week we also have the amazing Daisy Buchanan, author and journalist in the studio with us. So um, this is the section where we use our combined wisdom and experience and, to be honest, lack of common sense to try and help (laughs) you solve your problems. Um, So problems this week. Nat, what is the first one we're tackling? So we were out with some friends this week and she was talking about her first date with this guy. She said he was lovely. um, They got on. He was sweet. She kept on using sort of all of these words, but she wasn't sure she was going to go on a, a second date with him. Um, you know, we had a, a long conversation about why. 
But I think it is a thing, I, especially if you're internet dating, online dating, it's that first date and you, you sort of think, oh, should I, shouldn't I? There wasn't that initial chemistry, but he's a nice guy or a nice girl. What do you do? I think this is really interesting because I think there are so many bad first dates out there that I sort of feel if it's anything above a kind of 4.5, it's worth a second date. That's what I think. It does not have to be... 4.5? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 4.5. But I feel That means so you many... didn't spill wine down your skirt <laughs> and, you know... Had some table manners. Yeah, exactly. You I mean, didn't chew with his mouth open. I, to be honest, that would be better than most of the dates I've been on. <laughs> that would be better than most dates I've been on. Daisy, what do you think? Somebody's sweet, they're kind, they're nice, but you just don't really fancy them. Should you see them uh, again? I think I agree with you. I, I think that the thing is our expectations are so high and this is another level where they are super high and you do you really want them to go up you want to build that connection with someone and see where it goes and if you think there's a possibility that you might get to really like them um when i on my very first date with my husband who i met on twitter hooray for twitter (laughs) Um, the original internet dating it wasn't that there wasn't chemistry there definitely was but he was really really restrained um and i'd been out with lots of handsy men and he didn't sort of you know, do that kind of, oh, I've accidentally touched your knee thing. It was quite... Um, and I wasn't really even sure that he was interested in me. And But he, I just loved talking to him so much. And there was a little kiss at the end. Um, so I, I think they're perhaps looking back. And also, he said he was planning on moving to the States. Um, and I was like, well, this is never going to be a run out. old chestnut. I'm going to America. So... I was, I definitely, I did not, you know, leave that date thinking, you know, he is the one at all. But I was, you know, I was just intrigued. There was a spark of of something. I mean, I do think that your gut is normally on it. And if your gut is saying, yeah, no, then don't. But if your gut isn't saying an enthusiastic yes, but it is saying maybe, then, you know, don't, you don't have to go on a third or fourth date or anything. But, you know, a second try, I think, is, it's a bit like... Um, you know, looking at houses, which is <laughs> on my mind at the moment. You sort of, you want to see, um, you know, if, if someone seems a bit promising in some ways, you want to see them in a couple of different lights. And I would say as well that of all the qualities um, that you look for in a person and you want them to be sexy and hot and funny and charming and witty and all of those things. But I think kind people are the mm. best people and they are hard to come by and that quality is just worth so much so if they've got they show genuine kindness I think they're worth sticking around for can I add another yeah. layer to that the different lights bit I, I think people need to do this pro- like li- literally see your day <laughs> in lots of different lights because that dark lit light over mine <laughs> and that broad daylight light two different lights that's no, my I advice. like to say that. I'm like, filter it out. You've <laughs> only seen me with the filters on. <laughs> keep it dark. <laughs> that is the story of my 20s, though. And I went on so many dates. And then it would be by the sort of, you know, the 8th, 9th, 10th, and we'd be sober. And I'd think, oh, no. <laughs> Coffee first. <laughs> so my problem for this week is... Um, actually from a friend of mine who is very young looking she's very young looking she's very pretty and she's quite um also like me quite short which is sometimes a bit of a problem um and she had a meeting this week and it was a bit awkward because she was actually um bringing in a consultant to help with her business and there were a few people in the meeting and the consultant came in and they were chatting and then uh, the consultant actually thought that she was the secretary and her colleague was the boss and obviously they had a big laugh about it and it was all a bit of a joke. But she's now saying, how do I make it not awkward? Because everyone feels a bit awkward about this situation. So how can I make it better for them? Emma, what do you think? Well, I can really relate to this story because I've pretty much done the same thing this week. And I th- I think, you know, I had, a, you had it to someone or you thought I, somebody was? Yes, I made the assumption that somebody was not as senior as they were because they were a woman. I was absolutely appalled at my myself and it was so unconscious. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm such a bad feminist. But I had a meeting with somebody, a potential client, and I didn't realise she was the founder of the business and she introduced me to her male colleague. And because he was probably about 20 years older I made the assumption that he owned the business and I was mortified but it was my place to make it um not awkward I had to really own that so I would say that you know for your friend really it's not if it still feels awkward it's about the consultant 
Mm. acknowledging that and distilling that awkwardness because that's exactly what I had to do and it's fine now we, we've laughed about it but I was so mortified and I had to just tell her I'm really sorry I made a mistake you know Nat do you think she should have hired this person given that they made that mistake well I think it's down to the job that they're going to do ultimately um, things happen over the course of your career good bad um, so I think that's a se- that's a separate thing and, and she needs to recognize her own feelings about it if she's like okay it happens I know who I am. I, I've had my own sense of confidence and authority. But yeah, this is a great person to do the job. Get on with it. But I do. It comes back to a conversation, similar conversation we were having last week around owning your your authority and your place in a room. Um, I think it's something that lots of people, not just not just women, but also men. Um, if you're young and you're coming into in, into an industry, need to do. You need to f- figure out what that means for you. Daisy, do you think she should feel awkward about it? Is it like, would you feel awkward if that mistake was made or would you just kind of let it go? I think it comes back to what you were saying about we do, I think as as women especially, we are socialised to think, oh gosh, I'm the problem. How can I fix this? Mm. How can I solve it? How can I make it better? I think that by, you know, I think that it sounds like she's trying to be proactive by fixing it, which is good. Um... And that indicates that, you know, she really doesn't want it to be awkward. I'm sure that the other person in the situation feels so awkward. And again, their feeling is possibly influencing how she feels. But that really is their problem. Um, I think as well, it's a big, it's a confidence issue, isn't it? When you want people to acknowledge your seniority. And I think that maybe um, if there was anything she could do to boost her confidence and I should know some confidence boosting tips off the top of my head um, but perhaps you know maybe it's a bit cheesy again but um, you know if she wanted to kind of make a list of her favourite work achievements and kind of, you know reread them every so often or you know look at her sort of her, her best I moments or... I have a little um, file on my inbox where I like file all nice emails sent ever mm. so whenever somebody said great job or I really liked this or thanks so much for doing this I just kind of keep a copy in that folder and occasionally I go back to the folder and I'm like oh okay people like me it's okay people <laughs> like me that's such a brilliant idea I'm gonna start doing that Steal it. it's a really Have good it. idea um and then our final question for this week, Emma, is um, from one of your friends. What happened with her? Yeah, so this is a, a girl that I've kind of mentoring. She's really pushing herself out of her comfort zone and she's getting some great opportunities and she's speaking on uh, a, an event this week. And it's really stressful. You know, I remember those early days when I did my first speaking gigs. You get really, really stressed and anxious and your adrenaline levels are high. But what's happening is like afterwards, and I see this a lot with people, especially when they're trying to do big things, is you do that big event and then afterwards you're sick for about a week with a cold and you can see the pattern and people are like oh I've got ill I've got a cold and you know I look and I can directly correlate it with you know the fact that they were under a lot of pressure or really mm-hmm. putting themselves out of their comfort zone I mean how do you manage that what advice would you give somebody who's so I'm a natural introvert which people don't uh, think when they meet me so I've over the years have I've had to learn how to manage my own energy levels and I know if I have something big like that happening the rest of my diary has to be empty or I need to be alone. Uh, I need, I want to be alone um, <laughs> that, that evening um, because it's part and parcel of who I am. I cannot recover by then spending more time with other people where I feel like I'm having to be sort of externally outward facing. I really have to, to intro into myself. But I also, I just, I think it's part of how we, we live our lives with work. You just have to be a bit kinder to yourself. It's not easy standing on a stage and you know engaging with a room it is energy that you're pouring out into this room if you're any good and we need to acknowledge that and I, I don't think we do I don't think we're kind enough to ourselves well, I think there's two levels because I certainly have that with you know when I'm doing big stuff and start to allow myself t- downtime but this is about the sickness that you get when you have when you your stress levels are kind of out of control because when that adrenaline leaves your body it basically crashes your immune system what I'm saying is that sick. doesn't happen because again I've learned to to manage it so Gen- so I'm really sick if you think about it I'm really sick yeah. and that is because I've really learned how to manage my own body in those moments so one of the things that somebody told me once which I think is really really important is to understand that actually managing stress is as much about what you put into your life as about what you take out and so when you have a big stressful event you are going to always have a kind of come down from it but what the difference is is making sure that come down isn't a crash to the very mm. bottom. It's just a bit of a drop. And one way to do that is to look at what's the stuff that actually, when I'm being kind to myself and I'm being good to myself, what is the stuff that I put into my life? 
So for example, I know that if I've got a really, really stressful week coming up, it's very easy for me to cancel all my other plans. But instead, I need to make sure that in that stressful week, I go to one yoga class, that I go to bed by 10.30, and that I make sure I have bought food for the week, and it is in my fridge, and I'm ready to eat Mm. healthy stuff. Um, And what I do the week after, which is less stressful, doesn't matter. You know, if I don't go to that yoga class, I'll survive. If I don't, if I eat takeaway three nights a week, I'll be okay. But it's um, looking at actually what's the stuff that I put into that week so that when that stressful thing has happened, yeah, there's a come down, but you don't drop as far. Daisy, how do you manage it? Uh, Well, last year I did a TEDx talk and, you know, as as Harriet's very experienced with these, (laughs) um, I can say it really felt like I had a long illness for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) For the months, preparing it, learning it, because um, you can't have a script you have to be word perfect and talk I mean lots of people aren't you know but I I had something I was memorizing over 10 minutes and it was um I just I got so 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 worked up I was it was right when I was finishing the book as well I think the talk was um the week before the final deadline for the first draft so I just remember really really feeling that and just all this mounting stress and dread and I remember the day before I'd gone to do a run-through at the building and I came back and I it was really 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 rainy and I stopped at this bookshop and I was sort of sheltering from the rain but I always feel obliged to buy a book because I like books and mm-hmm. I, you know it's a small shop so I think I bought um Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld and then I came home and I just had a real hankering for cream tea so I went to M&S and I got myself um, some scones and good jam and clotted cream and I didn't think about my talk I read Eligible um, until I was like ready to go to sleep at 10 and I felt so much better so I think it does really help again it's one of those you got this things that Mm. if you're stressed if you're worried you've probably done as much preparation as you need to do and if you can plan it so immediately before you have a bit of downtime and you can put your mind in a different place I think it makes it easier to relax and it lessens that build up of I think is it cortisol the stress hormone Mm. and all of that adrenaline will perhaps be managed a bit better and again it's about cushioning your fall on the way down Mm. and then I think if you perhaps clear your diary the next day or do something nice i'm a big fan of bed and netflix but you know gentle walks go to the park see some dogs seeing dogs always cheers me up and it's like stacking a load of mattresses under you so you're not falling straight out of the building yeah brilliant advice there we've had a lot of wisdom this week i think it's a very wise week very wise it's Um, me (laughs) it is it's been daisy so we say a massive thank you to the fabulous daisy buchanan and her book how to be a grown-up which is out now and we really recommend it it's fabulous um coming up after our break we are going to be talking about a backdated badass which is a woman from history that you really need to know about and this one's voice is even more beautiful than ours Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And it's that time of the week where we talk about a backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about. And this week's backdated badass comes to you courtesy of the army. Um, So Nat, who are we talking about this week? This week we are talking about the fabulous Eartha Kitt. Now... I saw um, uh, a video on Facebook and it was talking about Eartha and her legacy and I almost slapped myself in the face for not knowing any of this and how badass she was because I knew her, she was in a film called Boomerang with Eddie Murphy back in the 90s it would have been and she was amazing in that standout character but I didn't know anything about her political activism, her her career. I, I completely forgot all of the songs that she, she sung. So in terms of some... Because she is most famous, really, for Santa Baby. That's what we think of yeah. with Eartha Kitt. Once a year, Santa Baby, that beautiful husky voice. Mm-hmm. What other things was she up to? So she was obviously an American singer. She was a dancer, actress, and a self-professed sex kitten. She died at 81. Um, and... You know, we think of her for for Santa Baby, but there's another song. I'm going to say this wrong. Is it Sessibon? Yeah, it's a, a song that she sings, and it it comes on 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 Heart and, and Magic late at night. But again, I didn't know it was her. Um, she definitely was a woman that owned her sexuality again at a time where women didn't necessarily do that. And she played Helen of Troy for Orson Welles 
and he declared her one of the most exciting women in the world at, at the time. Uh, she did stage plays and films and, and TV. And uh, alongside all of that, she was an activist. So she was standing up for uh, civil rights and she was part of the civil rights movement in the US. Uh, she also came out against the war. And for all of this, she was ultimately persecuted in the US and she found fame and, um, I guess, adoration in, in Europe. And I, I didn't know any of this. Her activism, uh, um, activism uh, history is really phenomenal. She was an advocate for LGBT rights mm -hmm. and pu publicly supported same-sex marriage. I don't remember hearing uh, like any of that, but she's also a member of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. She was also under surveillance by the CIA. I think that's really badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that fantastic era, wasn't it, when actually um, a lot of kind of movie stars were very, very linked with politics, mm. but we kind of they were kind of written out because... So much of it was hidden because part of it was CIA. So much of it was about the Vietnam War. So mm. much of it was about civil rights and that huge movement. Yeah. Um, and so we forget that actually they weren't just using their fame as a conduit for their own success. They were using it to help other people. Yes. Um, now, what was she like kind of as a woman? Did she have... Well, this is the kind of woman she was. <laughs> when someone giggled as one of her eyelashes dropped out uh, onto her plate at a dinner party, she slapped the man next to her so hard he fell from her chair, even though it wasn't him that laughed. <laughs> That's who she was. Um, she was also a woman that, you know, she stood up for what she believed. So she was at a luncheon with President Johnson's wife, so the First Lady of the United States of America at the time. And she uh, spoke out about the, the Vietnam War and she was ultimately um, blacklisted by um, First Lady Johnson, which is why the CIA dossier was compiled and in it, the dossier suggested she was a sadistic nymphomaniac whose escapades and loose morals were the talk of Paris. I mean, I, mean, I love it. Like, I know. Wow. I, I, do you know what? She's got a really incredible dating strategy that I'm like, I need to try this. So okay. when younger men would come and chat her up, she'd be like, can you introduce me to your father? <laughs> and then she'd date all these like rich older men. But I'm loving that strategy. When you get chatted up by a toy boy, you're like, actually, where's your dad? <laughs> And also one thing she's most famous for is her enduring sex appeal because even well into her 80s she still had this incredible kittenish mm. sort of appeal with these thing I always remember about her is these incredible almond eyes and the way that she could kind of flash them and have everybody under her spell. Um, but I think she's a fantastic example that actually there's a real balance to be had as a woman from kind of embracing that female sexuality your kind of your whole self as a woman and actually being strong enough to not let that define you. Yeah. And that is why Eartha Kit is our backdated badass this week. Um, and that was today's backdated badass with the Army. The Army is currently recruiting for over 200 exciting, diverse and rewarding roles. Find out where you belong. Find out more at army.mod.uk forward slash belong. So we're coming towards the end of our show as ever. Um, but this week, we want to leave you with a little... Something to live your life by in the next seven days. Something to give you some inspiration and perk you up and give you a kind of focus for the week ahead. And that is our badass principle of the week. Nat, what is it? The badass principle for the week, I've stolen it from the army, is you belong. <laughs> and what does you belong mean to us? Well, I, I was thinking about the conversations we've had today um, and with everything that's going on in the world. And you belong is a sense of knowing that no matter where you are, what room you walk into, where you're sat, you belong to be there. We all have as much right as everyone else to be a part of this world. And not everyone feels like that. Um, so you belong is, is you know, own, own your space, own where you are as a woman in a company, if you're being paid less than a man, know that you belong know that you should be paid the same amount of money if you're in a relationship and you're, you know, you're, you're not sure that you're being treated in the way that, that you should know that you belong and therefore if you belong you deserve to be treated in the best way possible and it, it just it goes across all of life and I think there's also something that um, going back to the Pepsi advert that's dominating our thoughts there's something about that holding your own space so you have a right to be there mm. you have a right to be heard you have a right to be part of something that you believe in 
and to have that space for yourself. And if only if only Pepsi had had me on their <laughs> brand awareness <laughs> strategy when they were creating it. Uh, Emma, what does you belong mean for you? I think you belong is uh, all of the things that you were saying, but also about finding your tribe and, and also just owning being able to own your perspective on the world you know like when we look back at kind of like Daisy's book and we're just talking about you know a lot of pressures that you get or if you're not surrounding yourself by people who are thinking the same way as you or want to do the same things as you it can be really difficult to to keep forging your own path so for me you belong is about you know there are always going to be other people out there who want to think and do similar things to you so find your find your tribe that you belong Absolutely. Find a tribe, love them hard. That's (laughs) what we say. Um, So this has been the Badass Women's Hour with me, Harriet Minter, and my co-host Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton here on Talk Radio. And as ever, we will be back next week. But if you liked us and you want to hear more from us in the meantime, make sure you follow us on social media. So you can follow the Badass Women's Hour at Badass Women's Hour HR at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can follow me at Harriet Minter, Nat. At Nat D. Campbell. And Emma. At Emma Sexton. And we will see you again next week. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. You've been listening to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. If you liked us, you can help us out and there are some very simple ways to do that. First of all, give us five stars. Five stars, please. Anything less than five stars and a fairy dies. Or leave us a review telling us how wonderful we are, how much you loved our voices and how you can't wait for the next episode, which will be here on your podcast downloads next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.